welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. You know the drill. Subscribe, write a review, share with a friend, help us grow. Today in the booth, we got Patricio Manuel, who is the first trans boxer to compete professionally. Today, we get into the trans community and their broader participation in sports at all levels, what it means when we say that gender is a social construction, and lastly, why it's not Pat's job to speak on behalf of the entire trans community, to you, to me, to anybody. So kick your feet up and listen up. Welcome back. I'm excited to kick this off with Patricio Manuel. We have a guest here that I'm really excited about. Thank you so much for being here, Pat. How are you today? Doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate any time I get to uh, share space with you and have conversations. Uh, blessings, blessings. Same these. So let's just jump right into it. You are a man who is transmasculine. You are a professional boxer. That holds a lot of weight. There's a lot of controversy going on right now about trans athletes competing in sports, a lot of policies, a lot of a, um, problematic things happening. So can you just speak a little bit, let our listeners know a little bit about your journey, your story, how you arrived here? Yeah, I mean, my journey is, um, I think it's actually, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like there's parts of my story that are really common to like the trans identity. And then there's also parts of my story that are really common to the boxing identity. So I'll speak first to the trans identity because that started first um, and then I'll go into boxing. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of misperceptions right now, especially because most of these bills are targeting children saying children don't know, they're too young to know. Let me say for myself and many other trans people, there is never was a time in my life where I thought I was a girl ever. Mm. Like my constant internal narrative was I'm a boy. And it was very like, I'm really binary, basic boy. Like my friends were all boys, like, except for my sister, who's also queer and a little more masculine. Um, you know, I was interested in all the stereotypical masculine things. And never did I ever think like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a girl who will grow up into a woman, they would put me into lines with other girls. And even the little girls would be like, why are you here? Mm. You know, even children didn't see me as that. And eventually I went into an all girl middle school and it's, you know, I look back and it's not surprising. I was the most popular person in the school because everyone knew that I was the one boy in that <laughs> school. Um, you know, but it, it was really difficult when you're growing up and you have this this idea for yourself and everyone is literally every social cue around you is telling you you're wrong. And, you know, like most kids, I learned to be quiet. I learned not to talk about it, but it never went anywhere. I just shoved it deep down inside. And I started really running into issues when I went through puberty. And for, you know, puberty is difficult for everyone, but when you're trans and your body is doing things that you're like, I do not want it to do, it is particularly traumatizing. And I don't throw mm. that word around very lightly. Um, okay. But it is incredibly, incredibly heart-wrenching and difficult. And as your body's going through these things, everyone else is just being like, it's fine. It's normal. You're growing up. 
and I really felt like this isn't normal for me. This is not who I want to be. And I literally mentally checked out from my body. I just felt like going through high school, I was watching myself go through the motions. I started failing in school and I knew that I needed to do something to save myself. I always had a really deep self-preservation. I'm very fortunate that I've never struggled with suicidal ideation, which 40% of trans youth do attempt suicide at some point in their life. And I do think that number is probably underrepresented. Um, And for me, I was always really pulled to the masculinity of fighters. Like I love Bruce Lee. I grew up in a Japanese neighborhood with Japanese friends. I was watching Dragon Ball Z before it even came to the United States. Uh, Street Fighter was my jam, all the fighting games. So for me, I needed to go into fighting to feel better about myself. And I asked my grandma for boxing lessons one time when I was 16 years old and I like deeply fell in love with the sport. And that was the first time I was forced back into my own body and also felt proud of what my body was able to accomplish through boxing. So Pat, I appreciate that rundown. You, you, you really emphasized like the masculinity of boxing or even even just sports in general, which it's interesting. I where do you come down on the notion of gender being a social construction? Like, where, where do you come down on that? Well, I, I you know it's it's interesting because it's hard to pull apart what is entirely social when I have and all of us have been literally uh, washed in it forever. So it's really hard to be like what things are social, what things aren't. I will say this, they, the, obviously the values of masculinity and femininity shift between cultures and society, including even within the United States. It looks different. I mean, it even looks different of black men versus white men. Black men have been sporting pink forever. You know, Sugar Ray Robinson, one of the greatest boxers of all time, was known for his pink Cadillac. So people saying that is a feminine color with someone who was dandy, you know, and and I would say peak masculinity in terms of like black men in the 1950s. Um, You know, that's already showing what is a a social construct. But I think, you know, I think all of us do maybe have things that are inherently our personality that are reflected by our gender. Uh, For me, my masculinity is pretty much standard. Uh, I think that's why I've had so much acceptance in the sport of boxing is I'm really relatable uh, to most of the other men. They see me as men, as any other black man, man of color, um, who is straight. I'm not particularly feminine uh, with anything I do um, at, at all, even the things that have been socialized into me. But at the same token, like I can hear things in my inflection of my voice that I've had to work to really change because I was still reared by in particular white a white woman uh, to be eventually into a white woman that obviously was never going to be my trajectory in life. But there are these things that have been socialized in me that I have made intentional to undo because they didn't sit right. You know, so I, I don't think that necessarily gender is entirely something that is social, but I think there are things that we get to choose within that. So I think it's not like, you're born, you have to act this way, you are that way. I do think there are choices within us that lean towards our personality. Um, And we get to also actively choose what types of masculinity and femininity we embody. Um, And I think a lot of people lose that. And this isn't about a trans 
narrative. This isn't about an LGB narrative or gender nonconformity. I feel like this is ultimately our choices as people, regardless of our gender identity, regardless of who we are, to actively choose what ways do we want to be a man? What ways do we want to be a woman? What ways do we want to just be a person? Mm. Um, what ways do we want to embody these energies? Like I very much feel femininity and masculinity are natural energies that we have that have been really misused and I would say polluted by the societies around us. That's a great point. The reason I, I brought that up is it's hard when you think about gender as a social construction and you put it within the context of America, we have long, long histories of the power asymmetry and just sort of histories of which groups get power and which don't. And I look, I, I sort of hold all social constructions, and we can talk about race in a minute and those sort of parallels, but with gender, you, I kind of hold that up against the scrutiny of, of, of history. And I think it was probably in the 1970s with sort of feminist scholarship, um, you know, starting to get more, more buzz and more light, really sort of separating gender from sex, right? You know, we've all, you know, heard about, heard these, these sort of different um, uh, sort of topics and gender being something more of social constructions that dovetail into power asymmetry, where masculinity by its definition is defined by its exclusionary boundaries, namely feminism. And a lot of the way men or, or you know, just how I grew up or friends that I've had understood masculinity to be the rejection of femininity and in fact, the subordination of femininity. And and those things tying to the the social construction of gender, which is which has been overlaid on top of sex. And if we define sex as just um, you know reproductive biology, like that that that's it. You know, you're you're assigned you know sort of sort of sex at at birth, and then social construction be laid over top to say you're you are you know if you're in the feminine category in these gender roles you are subordinated to masculine roles you are subordinated inside the house and also out in just sort of the market economy in so many other places do you see especially with sports like it's just so fascinating just the masculinity in the way that when i'm in the basketball court or practice running sprints you know man up eddie man up you know don't stop acting like a little girl stop acting like a pussy like so many ways of expression around masculinity is the subordination and rejection of femininity. Do you find that at all? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's the way, unfortunately, most of us have been uh, reared in this society. You know, it's, I work with youth. Um, I work uh, at the teen center that I also train out of. Um, and I'm constantly challenging these kids across multiple genders who will say things like, I, you know, have seen female side of birth, people who identify as women being like, don't be a little girl and I'll always be like, what are you saying when you're doing that? And they're like, oh, I forget. And like, they're like, wow, I didn't realize how much I say yeah. it. Like I constantly, it's ingrained. Yeah, like I constantly just, and jokingly, I always use joking as like a way of, so that people don't shut down or have a shame response to be like, hey, just check what you're saying over and over and over. Um, and it, it's so interesting too, because if we look at nature, right, it's like, I'm not, we think about lions. I'm not, the lions are never my favorite animal, but they get like brought up often as like things that humans want to um, <laughs> be, which I find really interesting. I think wolves are much more aligned with us. Um, but Thanks. the lioness does most of the hunting, 
Like, you know, so even these standards of what we, what people have lied and said, like, this is the way a woman is supposed to act. If we look in nature, the, you know, the lioness is like, oh, I'm just going to lay around and like, I'll cook the meat and do things like, no, I'm going to hunt. And I think that sports is a really interesting place where we still are struggling with dehumanization. Athletes are not seen as human. I, you know, definitely goes back into uh, slavery and especially we're looking at so many black athletes being involved in this. Uh, but there, there is this huge, huge issue of like, athletes don't feel they're not people. So it's really easy to then construct these like harmful masculine identities of like, suck it up, you know, be a man, don't be a pussy hurry up and run because we don't want to think that athletes even feel you hear what people say fans say to athletes and it's terrible i know that um uninterrupted was doing a whole uh i think glass helmet campaign to try to get people to humanize football players and the fact that they're like dealing with trauma and this is the problem with patriarchy nothing is inherently wrong with masculinity but then we have this social structure of patriarchy and what men don't realize is that patriarchy is dehumanizing them to the point that they're not even supposed to feel that they're supposed to get hit and everyone's supposed to cheer that they got hurt. Like how fucked mm. up is that? Right. Pat, right. I, I was, you know, a few years back, I, I came across a situation where, you know, I was, I was with a gay man and we were at, at an event uh, and there was a trans person performing at a, at a comedy show and, and they were really uh, inflamed. And I didn't realize that with some, you know, gay men, there's a whole kind of almost like beef with the trans community. And I don't understand like fully, but obviously there's layers of patriarchy there that's coming into play. But like at a certain point in time, you know, to your point, like masculinity isn't the problem, but, uh, and we're so ingrained with these terms, but I mean, is the goal to get past these terms? I mean, is, is that what, is that what you think? Or, or is it, I've, I've been wrestling it with it myself and just kind of curious your take me personally and you know there's probably people that disagree with me uh but i don't think it's about getting rid of the terms i think it's about expanding what those terms are and not having them be limitations um, or restrictions of where you're supposed to fit i don't think that there's something inherently wrong with femininity or masculinity or even exploring what looks beyond those two i mean why do we only have two binaries of these i'm sure there's a lot more out there we can bring language to but I do think we need to start bringing down the systems that are empowering certain words to mean more and to have more value than others. But personally, I really love my masculinity. I'm very comfortable with who I am as a man. I really enjoy it. I understand that I need to be vigilant to when I can inadvertently cause harm because of these privileges I have now as being seen as a man or in particular, masculinity versus femininity but i feel like that is the my work to do um and i'm fully comfortable carrying that burden i don't think i don't want to go go away with it because i've also fought so long to be recognized and seen as this masculine man maybe i'm biased and want to hold on to this identity that i've worked really really hard to craft and i don't think that identity by itself is harmful. I think my actions may be harmful within these systems. And that is my job to make sure that I'm always working to do better. And I'm always listening to the people who may be harmed by me to be accountable for it. I think it's very interesting when Eddie brings up this concept of rejecting femininity, 
So as a woman and a queer woman at that, I've always been pretty, I'd say, androgynous, you know, a tomboy as a little kid, you know, uh, looking up more to the male peers in my life and male figures in my life within my family and my community. And the the misogyny that was there, even though, you know, my father tried really hard to give me a balanced perspective, there was a time in my life where I rejected my femininity, not to a point, um, not to say like I wanted to be masculine only or anything like that, but I was viewing some of the women in my life, like maybe they're weaker or like power is to be more masculine, you know? And it wasn't until I got a little older that I, I really began to unlearn these constructs and take a look at my own family and community and be like, wow, the women in my community are so fucking strong. And to see some of these weaknesses I was blind to in the in the the men in the more masculine parts. And and that's what when I really came to be a fully formed, you know, and like my root in activism is is rooted in my understanding and empowerment of my feminine and masculine. And to your point, my my wolf spirit. You know, I might not have language, but like part of the the spirit that I feel and energy I feel is like a wolf. But like there there are more than just the binary, but I think that's a really fascinating thought about the rejection of femininity. And we see this in sports, right? So like trans women, they come down, they come down a lot hard, harder on trans women who are uh, competing against cisgender women. Can you speak a little bit to that? And, and how does that fit in this construct of misogyny and things? I think really, if we, we strip it down, what the issue is of trans athletes, it is misogyny. You know, that is the root of it. Either people are saying that anyone who is male assigned at birth is inherently physically superior than anyone who is female assigned at birth, regardless of what medical interventions they do, or even just the diversity within bodies. Like people have this very, very archaic, and I would say insulting, uh, especially for female assigned at birth um female athletes that they literally any dude can just walk off and go down the court and be able to beat any WNBA player like that is essentially what they're saying like no skill no training not even their own physical capabilities are a part of the conversations it's just what did the or doctor Serena. say when came out yeah all those things i'm like come on what dude is beating <laughs> serena williams in a tennis match you know yes. but but i know so many men who literally do think that they can beat these people. We see them online. I think there's a correlation between the people who are making fun of female athletes being like the same old line of you should be in the kitchen. Like that was ever funny. Um, mm. Are the same people who are now like our girls and women's sports are being threatened by trans women. They're having no sort of nuanced conversation about what is womanhood? What is the diversity within our own bodies? Um, Intersex athletes are, they just roll them into trans athletes. They aren't even having that conversation, even though Casper Semenya, who's the 800 meter sprinter, has been banned because she naturally produces, I think, more testosterone because she is an intersex athlete. Like, where do you mm. put those people? Right. Uh, I think people are having to contend with the fact like human bodies are diverse. 
our capabilities are really diverse and that makes people really uncomfortable. And I would love for the same type of scrutiny to go to male athletes as they do female athletes. What about the male athletes that aren't producing the same testosterone as other male athletes? What about the male intersex athletes that may be around? We're not having any of these conversations because they're not concerned with them at all. What they're concerned about is particularly controlling women's bodies and people that they view as women and who gets to claim womanhood. And if you're female assigned at birth, if you get to be able to claim malehood and be able to compete against men. Pat, it's it's when I was thinking about this episode, I, I was just doing some different research. And one of the things that comes up a lot, I'm sure, as you know, is like Joe Rogan's like very hot on this topic. And he's like someone obviously who a lot of people listen to. And when I was watching him talk about it, I was telling G and Eddie about this before, like he he's someone I've watched do many other episodes and seemingly usually he's very calm. And he had like a real anger about him when he was on this issue. And I was actually shocked at how angry, and I don't even know if you know this, but he's like chatted about you on it as well. And it just, I, I wonder, it's obviously that, um, that misogyny, but then there's, I think it was like, I guess like straight or cisgender men, there's, I wonder if there's also like this like weird, like repression or fear of like where they fall in the sexual spectrum, if they might not be exactly where they're at and, and just this challenging of like their own ways. And then that just turns into like anger on this issue. Um, but it's just, it's very interesting to see someone who can, seemingly is like a normal talking person get angry. And I'm just curious of like, if you've seen some of that and just kind of what's your general reaction? First off, I'll say this in case it needs to be edited out, but you can keep it in if you want. First thing, fuck Joe Rogan. I'm just going to say with that. <laughs> you can, I leave it there. So if you need to edit it out, I'm just, I'm tired. Of, I won't edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tired of who gets elevated into intellectual thought leaders. Um, mm. I don't think any of us should be. So I don't know why this fool has so many cult-like followers thinking that he's the truth. Um, I don't listen to his podcast. I find him annoying because he interrupts and he argues. Um, and he's very focused on presenting his view. Um, and then people say that he's presenting two different views if he brings a conflicting person, often who are white supremacists and alt-right people. I don't see him bringing any sort of like radical anarchists onto his podcast at he all. He knows his so, audience. Yeah. Like, honestly, they can go fuck themselves, all of them. Um, I'm sure my manager <laughs> will be like, Pat. <laughs> you. You. Honestly speaking. Heavy cosign. <laughs> you know, it's like I haven't listened to Joe Rogan, what he said about trans women. I People mentioned that he said something about me. I don't really care. Um, he has no authority or weight, so he can run his mouth whatever he wants to about me. I don't know if he said something negative or positive. It's irrelevant. He definitely doesn't have authority on this issue. The only thing that's interesting is most people don't have authority on this issue, but obviously mm -hmm. a lot of people run their mouth on this issue. And, you know, the common, I think, just like, you know, het or male reaction is obviously what you just said. Men are stronger. They're going to beat Serena Williams, yada, yada, yada. And it seems like there's a lot of uh, pushback on them trying to particularly ban, you know, women uh, who are trans feminine in these sports. And so I'm just curious, you know, it's something where I would say, I guess there's studies and people are now trying to study around, you know, I just, I guess like different like hormone levels and all this things. Do you feel like we're just like too early in this conversation and everyone just needs to just let, let everyone compete and just let it 
just be what it is? Like, what, what's what do we need to be doing here? Yeah, I mean, I wish I I had an answer. Um, I think in this this going back to the Joe Rogan, the, the biggest issue. Yeah, I do think there are men who are attracted to trans women, and then they get really freaked out about. Uh, what that says about their own gender identity because they're so concerned about what other men are saying, yep. uh, which I find so interesting yeah. about people like Joe Rogan who like identify themselves as alpha males, um, which, you know, if you know anything about wolves, the alpha wolf is actually the male alpha wolf in particular because mostly the female is running the day-to-day -day operations. The male alpha wolf that is the most successful is the one that is the most empathetic to the pack. It is a family. I think yeah. if he's really a strong man, then he should have the empathy and the space to be like, huh, I don't understand what this is about. Let me actually learn and humanize and understand what this person is going through rather than just yelling violent rhetoric that is literally resulting in trans women being murdered. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell people, you show people statistics and being like, women are being murdered because of this. They do not care because in their eyes, whether they're fetishizing or whether they have owned insecurities around it, they refuse to see trans women as actual humans. And this is the big Correct. issue. And if sports is something that unites humanity to suddenly ban a whole population, further isolates them and dehumanizes them in our eyes. Now, I don't know the answer. Everyone's always like, what should we do about trans athletes? And I'm like, oh, I don't have that answer. Like I'm just an athlete in it. But I do think we need to start having honest conversations with each other, including with trans people. Like, do you know any trans people in your life? Do you actively have relationships with trans people? I've said this before, any of these bills that are happening, they need to sit with trans people, break bread multiple times with trans people who consent to it and actually understand that there is a human involved. I can say that about my own story as a boxer being in a sport where there's not a lot of known trans people that I had um, have had a lot of interactions with people who have suddenly shifted their own relationship to trans people because they're like, I've known you for a long time and I know how much you love this sport and you would risk the sport that you loved just to be yourself. And I'm like, yes, this is how important it is to me. Suddenly that becomes a humanizing shared experience of us of our love of boxing i think there are another of athletes who have connected with trans women and i've had conversations with other female athletes who are like okay i've had this connection and i realize like there is no threat here and if we continue to isolate and put people away we're never going to come to that common ground to actually figure out a solution yes and i think also with the bigger issue here that we're having is that the definitions we've given ourselves of man and woman, female and male athletics, we're realizing how limited that is. And the world is having to contend with now the reality that we're really diverse and it's not so easy to pigeonhole people in one spot. I think you hit it right on the head when you say common ground and you speak about the complexities of people and how easy it is for us to compartmentalize people into labels and how that results in the dehumanization of people I feel and I've had experiences where I advocate for civil or not so civil discourse with white supremacists and neo-confederates to humanize an issue. I think that is so important and people want a quick fix and a quick answer and want to change people's minds. But you're right. 
It has to be a continued conversation and we have to make space for that conversation to happen. Not really to, to push trans folks or folks who are on the receiving end of a lot of the vitriol, not really to put them in a position to say, hey, you need to speak about this because that can be dangerous. I'm not saying that. But we, we, we need to make the space and the opportunities for us to find that common ground. A mathematician once told me the easiest way to solve a division problem is to find the common denominator. So we need to continue to have these conversations, which is why I'm so I'm proud that we're having it here right now, because that's really what it's all about. We have to keep sharing perspectives and sharing compassion and really humanize things, because that, that's what the problem is, is the dehumanization. Someone's thinking that somehow they have the, uh, the upper superiority, whether morally, racially, gen, gen, whatever, you know, to say that this, these people should not have the right to do this. Whenever that, that is how the context of a conversation goes, we really have to look at that and understand that that is coming from a, a place of dehumanizing another human being. Well, gee, to that point about classification, classifying humans into oppressive categories, I have a friend who's gender non-conforming. They were assigned female at birth. And the way that they approach gender non-conforming is similar. I drew the parallel when talking to them about how I think about race and race as being a classification put on people rather than an identity you know, coming from the ground up that is just categorizing people to oppress them. And that race as as a, a construction and as a category in the census needs to be abolished because it is only tied to a larger caste system. And I think they think about, I don't know if I'm putting words into their mouth, but I think they think about the categories of gender the same way in that gender as categories in America are inherently tied to oppression and are tried to be biologically essentialized, like like there isn't a difference between sex and gender, taking gender away from reproductive biology and saying this is a social role in society that was put that is put on people. I don't you know, I don't subscribe to any of it. I am gender nonconforming. Do you with Pat, your thoughts on trans people? in seem to be tying gender back to sex in and with the reproductive biology and tying it to a gender identity. Do you think that that is diametrically opposed to what gender nonconforming people are doing? Let me get a little clarity. So are you saying that trans yeah. people are retying that back into a biological essentialism of gender because we're saying Yes, we're female assigned at birth, but we identify or for myself as a man. So therefore, it's like an oppositional of that. Yeah, because going through a transition, you're sort of identifying with another gender, but going through an actual transition biologically in order to align up with that gender identity. Is that not tying those two things together and biologically essentializing gender the way that gender nonconformists would reject it entirely. I mean, maybe. I think this is the complicated issue of like, there's so many options. Um, and I don't feel like any of these are in conflict with each other. Like certain okay. people are like, I'm gender nonconforming. Like I'm non-binary. These are my identities. Yeah. Yeah. I can say for myself, my identity is kind of basic. <laughs> is that black and white? I am I was female sign at birth, but like I literally have only seen myself as a boy and a man. Like that's my narrative. I think we need to just make room for 
wanting everything to be so neat and being like, yeah. oh, it's this one way. And I think this is essentially the thing that's wrong with society in general is like we want boxes and like there's going to be squares, there's going to be circles, there are going to be things that are just completely outside of it. You know, so I can only be the expert of my own experience. And for me, right. that has been something that like, I know, like I even use the terminology, like I identify as a man who is transgender. Like I don't see myself as anything really different. I spend most of my life uh, now, literally all my interactions, my transness doesn't really come up in conversation. Like I'm in mm -hmm. very, very heteronormative spaces. I mean, you can't get more macho than like, boxing gyms and I spend all my time with straight men of color and it never even comes up for me. So, you know, I don't think they're in conflict. I think we need to make room for it. I, I feel you. Do you worry about um, incidentally reaffirming those gender roles in with, with transitioning? You know what I mean? Like it, you know, you're obviously not meaning to, but as an incidental byproduct, bringing gender in sex, biological sex back together? Does, you know, do you worry about that perpetuating more of an oppressive categorization in this country? No, because I reject the notion that any one person is the main responsibility of everyone else's version or vision of what is gender. Um, I completely reject that. So all I can do is live my truth. And I say it very plainly, this is my truth. This is who I am. I can't control if someone therefore goes every trans person, just in the same way I can't control when someone goes every black person because you do that. That's not uh, mm -hmm. that's not my burden to carry. That's someone else's. I feel you. I think that's a great closing point. Walking in your truth and being able to just say this is my this is my experience. Pat, I held my bias this whole episode, but if I never <laughs> told you, you are a champion to me in and out of the ring. I love you. Thank you for being here. I love you too. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. Thank you guys for having me. Whew, what a convo. That was good. Man. That was deep. How y'all feeling? Uh, it, it, really good. I feel like, uh, I mean, this is I think how we feel after all these, we, we need a little time to reevaluate, but um, there was almost like a, sim a simplicity to his explanations that I just, I really appreciated that makes sense yeah no he it was for such a topic with so much depth he was able to to just be like yeah make it sound simple these are simple giving you sort of you know simple answers you know that were that were really great to understand yeah man he didn't hold back anything that's why i appreciate it and it's like one of these things where we didn't talk about this get into this but those of us at the intersection you know out of sexuality gender race class you know we we are on the receiving end of all of these micro and macro aggressions daily, you know? So the simplicity of his answers, what I took that as, and it's a go-to for myself as well, is like, this is just me. I'm existing the best way I know how to exist and standing authentically in who I am, unapologetically in who I am. It's not my job to have all the answers right? It's not our job to uh, save the world, right? All we are doing is asking for the opportunity to exist and have full rights like everybody else. And it really is that simple. So I, I definitely understood and related to his simple answers. It's always an interesting 
I like how you put it. It's always an interesting when when you're like a representative of an oppressed group, and then you get asked questions on behalf of not, the whole group. On behalf of the whole group, <laughs> and you're like, and you got to be like, yo, by the way, this is me. This is me talking right now. I'm not the Congress person uh, right. for this group. I wasn't elected. You always got to like, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, toe that line a little bit. That's so true. Eddie, do you ever get those questions on, online or if people come at, well, I guess you don't post online a lot, but people ask me about Black Lives Matter all the time. And I'm like, oh. I'm not even affiliated with any Black Lives Matter chapter to be speaking on their behalf. Like, what are you, why are you asking me this? Oh, a hundred percent. Because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's from like a, like a reductionist notion that we are all in the know with like the, members of the oppressed group have nightly meetings or something and everybody and it's all <laughs> conflated and and like there is no you know sort of sectionalism within the group right that that's mm. a, such a common thing for oppressed groups in america in general that you get asked for like i'm like how the fuck do i know about some shit like right. blm chapter of st louis i don't fucking know right that being said i do know chet hanks and it is a white boy summer Okay. <laughs> let's go let's go turn up. turn up shout out john b shout out oh harlow yeah but Damn. you know i, I it, you know going back to pat i mean i appreciate even the way he addressed you know uh, just the boxing and the sports i thought it was also interesting for him to make the nuanced point which is even uh his situation as a man who's trans masculine versus uh women who are trans feminine even just the differences there within what they go through so it's crazy how we continuously continue hierarchies like no matter what, where we're at within these groups and i really do think i mean i, I kind of like open the question to him but i do think there's a lot of men who are really afraid of their attraction to trans women or yeah. to being bisexual or gay and it and it totally comes out and i I was listening to one of these guys who gave an okay argument on, on Joe Rogan, but he was talking about some stat from like back in the 30s or 40s that was saying like at least like 30% of men had had some sort of like gay interaction. So uh -huh. I think that that's where the, the gender as the construct gets really interesting just around like the fluidity of all this. But um, yeah. yeah. Did my did my questions make sense? Because I was like trying to like formulate like how am I going to ask this they when I was trying to like make the make comparison, sense. they and surprisingly to me, they like they were actually, yeah, they were clear. They made sense. Okay. It sounded. I mean, the, the lot you were using a lot of jargon that you know I yeah, almost yeah. got lost with it. But it definitely, I, do do I really appreciate those questions that you ask. I do the do complex, that. Like you brought the complexity even like more out of the conversation. With and it's a complex conversation. Like we shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. As long as yeah. they're they're within love and compassion and wanting to understand better, ask right. as I say, ask anything, you know. What I appreciate too is like to your point of like if you're in a press group now, you suddenly have all the answers. Pat's like, I'm a I'm a man. I've been a man my whole life, and that's been my thing. And I've also just grown up in this world just like you and everyone else. So it's yeah. like for me to not think that it's like I can see why you should think that I should be the for, at the foremost point of understanding. But like the reality is I'm just another person just like you just trying to figure it out. And I thought that was like a very grounding statement that just, I don't know, made so much sense to me. And I, and I thought it was just so important 
Uh, last thing I'll say, we didn't get into like the high school bills, but he tapped on it. I mean, at a minimum, 40% of trans youth committing suicide is so fucking atrocious. And yeah. these bills that are being passed and pressed, they're just holding back and people just not seeing these kids as human beings is just very, very disgusting. Um, so definitely for an, another time, but that, that was a, I, I know I'd read that stat, but it, it was jarring to hear him say it. Yeah. I could see that being another conversation. Maybe, you know, we can have him or someone else on who can speak more to that. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think this is a continued conversation in, in my opinion. For sure. Oh yeah. This is the way that Pat framed it. When you talk about the oppressed groups, you know, within LGBTQ, trans, gender non-conforming, queer, just, it's it's like the oppression of the patriarchy just permeating everything. Yeah. The larger umbrella over it all is misogyny yeah. and tortured notions of what it is to be masculine and what masculinity means and what groups who deem themselves masculine, you know, have their position in relation to other groups. And it's just like, seems to be the kind of common denominator of all of this.